The book of Ephesians chapter 6. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to preach the introduction and then we will slow down and do some teaching concerning the armor of God, really an introduction to it so that we get our proper foundation underneath our feet. And in doing so, I'm going to give five topics, and I'll give those as numbers. So like I'll say number one, I'll give you the point, and then we'll spend some time talking through several different things underneath that point, and then, uh, Lord willing, I'll remember and say number two, so that if you're taking notes, you'll be able to put those down. Otherwise, I get accosted right after the message and saying, I don't know where you are at. And so uh, I'll do my best. When I give a list, I'm kind of in teaching mode, and when I'm not, I'm in preaching mode. So the topic of the armor of God should be of an interest of every one of us. There is a lot of confusion out there over this topic, and I hope that by God's grace that we can begin to Um, and I'm saying it this way on purpose, shed some light on the armor of light. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies or in the heavenly places. We have come through the book of Ephesians with a conclusion that Paul has given to us in Ephesians 1. That God the Father has made known to believers the mystery of His will. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ. It's worded differently in different epistles. Paul would say, what is this? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you'll notice the subject and the focus is Christ. And that is why Paul says in Ephesians 1 that this mystery of his will is the summing up of everything, all things, in him, in this person named Jesus Christ. And Paul desires that we as a church be filled with the knowledge of this will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Even Paul, as a minister himself, mentions that his aim or his goal is to fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations but has now been made manifested to his saints. This drove Paul. This was his one topic that he proclaimed. And it motivated him and it drove his his labors to be proclaiming the one of whom all things will be summed up into. That is, Christ. And Paul understood that in order to do that, it was going to take a striving, an agonizing, according to his power. Now as I've mentioned all those things, if your mind is astute and connected, all of the things that I have mentioned, Paul is now mentioning in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. From our calling, to regeneration, to our justification, 
to our sanctification, to our glorification, all things are to be conformed to the image of His dear Son. All of this to the praise of the glory of His grace. And all of God's surpassing power, and it is infinite, isn't it? All of God's eternal power His surpassing power that is being shown to us, His saints, was brought about in Christ when? When God raised Him from the dead. In other words, this surpassing power that raised Christ from the dead, that same power seated Him at His own right hand where? in the heavenlies, that surpassing power is a power of resurrection. It is the power of bringing life out of what? Death. So too the power of the gospel. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But the exceeding power of the grace of God in the gospel a grace that is not by works, lest any man should boast, that same power to bring life out of death created life in us who were dead. So that now we are alive in Christ, seated where He is seated. He is seated in heavenly places. We too are seated in that same heavenly place. That is an amazing, glorious salvation. And now having been saved, and now being saved, we are to walk a worthy walk in light of what I have just said. We're to lay aside our old manner of life, We're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and true holiness. And this is the end for which God's mystery is to be accomplished. That we as God's people in Christ would stand before Him in holiness and in blamelessness. So according to that power which is now working in us, to God the Father be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And a church that understands these things responds, Amen, to the glory of God. This is salvation that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. Now Paul is now bringing all this down to a conclusion. And you'll see that in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 with that very first word, that word finally. He is rounding up all things for us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And he introduces us to what he describes metaphorically as the armor of God. Now there's a lot of confusion about the armor of God. And that probably is an understatement. It ranges all the way from going down to your local Christian bookstore and walking around the children's toys and behold you see a box that says the armor of God (laughs) wow and you look down there and what do you see you see a shield you see a breastplate right you see a sword Now, I remember seeing that when my children were very young and deciding that my children did not need 
the armor of God and a sword because I knew exactly what my boys were going to do with that. And so we buy something like that, and I'm not decrying this, but we clothe our children and we say, look, you have on the armor of God. No, He doesn't. The confusion ranges from children's toys to charismatism. And by the way, I pilgrim through charismatism. I know very well what I'm talking about. Charismatics and many Christian people look at these verses and say, we are in a spiritual warfare. And so we end up doing things like pleading the blood of Christ or trying to figure out the demonic hierarchies out there or trying to determine, now I've got a problem in my life. Now, is this problem coming from rulers and authorities or is the problem coming from demonic forces of this darkness that we're walking through? Or maybe this is coming from spiritual forces of wicked, wickedness in the heavenlies. I mean, these are the big guns. Or maybe we think to ourselves, no, I'm important. This is the devil himself. No such thing as a spiritual warfare pleading the blood of Christ over anything. You will not find that in your Bible. It ranges, as I've already mentioned, to focusing on spiritual powers. There was a fad within evangelicalism several decades ago coming out of Fuller University, supposed Christian University, in which they were discussing all the spiritual hierarchies and all the demonic hierarchies and how this hierarchy was over this and this hierarchy was over that and we got to make sure that when we're praying and we're engaging in spiritual warfare, when we are praying, that we are to select the proper demon that we're to be praying against. The majority of what I've just said you will not find in your New Testament. The Bible doesn't tell us. Now when you pray, make sure that you've got the right demonic force that you're praying against. Do we all understand that? But this is all pervasive out in the Christian community. And I think it ranges not only from children's toys all the way to just complete ignorance. We know about the text, we know about the wording of the text, but we really have a complete ignorance of what the armor is or what it's supposed to be doing. So this morning I want to begin to give some truths about this passage that will help us not to be ignorant. And as I mentioned before, these are building blocks. So the point of this isn't for us to listen to a particular point, say, okay, I agree or I disagree, and then just kind of cast the block away. No, I'm building a wall. I'm building an understanding here. And I want to give to the to you these in five broad commands that we see here in verses 10 through 12. Number one, Paul issues to the church and to the saints a command. It is a command. What is the command? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's the command, Ephesians 6, verse 10. And the word be strong, the tense of that word is passive. Meaning, it is something that happens to us. In other words, it's not me. If I take a ball and I pick it up and I throw it, that is active. Who's doing the throwing? I'm doing the throwing. 
If someone else helps me throw, that is, simplistic terms, middle voice. This is passive. This is something, not that I'm doing, but something that is coming to who? Coming to me. Here's the command. Be strengthened in the Lord and in the might of His strength. Everybody see the command there? Very important that we understand this is the whole purpose for what we call this section of the armor. Strengthening. Now, the question is, how are we strengthened? Well, we have several things that may help us here. We are strengthened, and we'll get to the details on how we're strengthened in just a few moments, but we're certainly strengthened as God, Ephesians 1 verse 17, gives us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And we have an inference of this. We won't turn to it because of time. But in Acts chapter 9, verses 20 and 22, Paul is converted. It's an amazing conversion. And in that chapter, it says that he immediately began to preach Christ as being the Son of God. Then two verses later, it says... And Paul being strengthened. Persuaded people that Jesus was the Son of God. So in the Acts chapter 9 passage, how do you think Paul was strengthened to be more effective in his preaching of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Folks, there's only one way he could have been strengthened, and that is coming to a better understanding of the gospel and the prophets. And this is exactly what Paul prays for this church, that we ourselves would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Where does this strength come to? We're talking about being strengthened. Are we to be strengthened? The answer to that is yes. It's coming to us from God. It comes to us through understanding of the Word of God. And it comes to us in our inner man. That's very important. How would I know this? Look in Ephesians 3. Look at verse 16. Paul's praying again. He's prayed that we would have wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of God the Father. Now he prays, Ephesians 3 verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be what? Strengthened. Where? In the inner man. Does everybody see that in Ephesians 3 verse 16? So are we to be strengthened? Yes. Where is this strength coming to? Our inner man or our spirit as a believer And as I mentioned before, the strength, the power of His might is the power of the resurrection. Ephesians chapter 1, look again at verse 19. What is the surpassing greatness of His power 
toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working, now look at the wording here, the working of the strength of His might. Everybody see that phrase? Exact same phrase we have in Ephesians 6 verse 10. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Okay. Are these things settling in our minds? Strengthening. Do we need strengthening? We do. We are to be strong. We're to be strong in the Lord. We're to be strong in the strength of His might. The strength of His might was seen in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. It is a resurrection power. And it comes to us, Ephesians 3 verse 16, in our inner man. This is where we are to be strengthened. And we know that that strengthening comes to us in Christ by His Word. As we are given spiritual wisdom and understanding in Him. Now I want you to turn to our parallel epistle. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. He's going to mention some of these very same things. You'll see in Ephesians, Ephesians, Colossians 1 and verse 9 that Paul's praying for this church at Colossae that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will. What is His will? It is that which had been hidden, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The result of that, verse 10, is that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that walk in a manner worthy of the Lord look like? Now look at verse 11 strengthened with all might according to His glorious might. Everybody see that? When we're strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, as we are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, being filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, what happens? we attain all steadfastness and patience. Everybody see that? We attain all steadfastness. What is steadfastness? Well, let me tell you what it's not. And I'm using Ephesian terminology. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not being tossed about with every wind of doctrine. If you're tossed about, you're not, you're not steadfast. You're not stable. You're instable. What is steadfastness? It is standing firm. Isn't that steadfastness? If you say that person is steadfast, you mean he's immovable, right? You mean that he's stable. It's like he's on a rock. It's like he's standing firm. Well, what does the text say? Go back to Ephesians 6. Look at verse 11, just jumping ahead a little bit. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm. Be steadfast. They're not the same Greek terms. To be stable. To be mature. In other words, strengthening coming to us from the Lord, the might of His strength occurs in our inner man. It is the power of the resurrection and it comes through the understanding of the will of God, the mystery of God with all wisdom and spiritual understanding and we will know its result when we have steadfastness and we have endurance. We have patience. So as we go back to Ephesians 6, verse 10, what is the command? Paul's coming to the end of this epistle, and he says, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Everybody, everybody see that. We all have that underneath our minds. You may have to go home, look at these passages, think through it. That's okay. I've been living in the armor of God for about a month. Okay? You're, you're getting the fruit of this. Okay? Number two. How does this strength come to us? The strength comes to us by putting on the whole armor of God. So you'll see, Ephesians 6 verse 10, here's the command, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Here's the command, how do you do this? How do you be strong in the Lord? You put on the full armor of God. Now, brethren, where does the armor come from? It comes from God. In other words, this is not natural. This isn't something you can buy at the Christian store. This comes and originates from God. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And this phrase, verse 11, put on the full armor of God, is a command. And it's not passive. It's middle. The armor comes from God and we what? We put it on. Now here's the interesting thing about this armor. When you were justified, you put on the armor of God. You didn't know that. <laughs> but you did. And now Paul's telling us to what? To put it on. Well, How do you put on something you already have? Well, notice what he says there. Look at verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded. Having girded means you have previously what? You have previously girded. Verse 14, having put on the breastplate. Verse 15, having shod. So you've already put this on and we are to put it on. And it is a command. But folks, here's the thing that we need to understand. When Paul says put on, you've already run across that command in your Bible in Ephesians. 
haven't you? Where? Look in Ephesians 4. Look at verse 24. And do what with the new self? Put on. Does everybody see that? Paul expects us to pick up that connection. So when he says here, verse 22 of Ephesians 4, that in reference to your former manner of life, you put off or you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now folks, you're quite aware of this, that when you got saved, when you were justified, did you put on Christ? Were you a new creation in Christ? Were you a new man? Yes. Now He tells you, put on. What is He telling us? He's telling us to continue to walk in that new man. He's telling us to continue to grow up in all things in Him. He's telling us, as we read in our Scripture reading, to put on who? Christ. Christ. So, we've already been made a new man in Christ. So put on the new man, meaning walk therein. We've already put on the armor. But we are to walk with the what? With the armor. Or we are to walk in that worthy walk. That's very, very critical that we see that connection there. And remember, what Paul's doing, he's bringing us to a conclusion of everything that he has said previously. So again, what is the command? The command is that we be strengthened. Number two, how does the strength come to us? By putting on the whole armor of God. Number three, the armor is necessary. This armor is necessary. Why do I say that? Well, go back to Ephesians 6. Look at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So we're to be strengthened the strength comes to us by putting on the whole armor of God. And it is God's armor. It is the same as putting on the new self. And God's armor is necessary. It is necessary because the armor gifts to us the ability it gives to us, it gives us the ability to stand firm against what? The schemes of the devil. Is the devil scheming? He is scheming. 
And folks, <clears throat> in this book, Paul gives to us two ways the devil schemes against us. The first is seen here in Ephesians 4. Excuse me, Ephesians 6. <laughs> I got that messed up. Ephesians 6, verse 14. Here's the first way he schemes against us. Flaming arrows of the evil one. What are inflaming arrows? I'll just tell you what they are, and we'll see it later. They are inflaming lust that Peter says wars against your soul. And folks, you and I know what it's like to have inflaming lust. We know what it's like to be happy and cheerful. Something happened and immediately we explode in unrighteous anger. That was an arrow that hit your spirit for the purpose of inflaming your sinful nature to respond in an unworthy manner. Everybody following me? Do you battle that every day? As a believer, you battle that every day. So when we're talking about the schemes of the devil, we're talking about, number one, inflaming lust. And we're talking about, if you go back to Ephesians 4 now, and you look at verse 14, we've already seen this word scheme. He's going to tell us to grow up in maturity. And when we grow up in maturity in all aspects in Christ, verse 14, Ephesians 4, the result will be that we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Everybody see that? So what are the two, what are the two dangers, at least in the book of Ephesians? What are the two dangers that necessitate this armor? Inflaming arrows. Arrows that inflame your sinful nature's desires. Lust. And deceitful doctrines. And note... Deceitful doctrines bring instability. They make you like children. Children are inherently unstable. They can be happy, and in a second they can be sad. They can be laughing, and in another second they're screaming. Right? They're unstable. And remember, Colossians says that one of the results of being strengthened with His might is that we would be steadfast. Now, this armor is necessary, and I want us to note, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will have the ability against the schemes of the devil to what? Stand. Stand firm. 
brethren, I want us to note here that Paul is not saying for you to gain victory. Which is normally the way spiritual warfare is portrayed. He's not telling you to be victorious. What he's telling you is to stand firm. In fact, if you look at Ephesians 6 verse 11, you'll see that you will have the ability to stand firm. Look at verse 13. Take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Look at verse 14. Stand what? Stand firm. Nowhere in this passage is he telling you to be victorious. Why? Why do you think Because isn't that what a soldier normally does? A soldier goes forth conquering and to conquer. Why is he telling us to stand firm? Because the victory is not won by us. It's been won by Him. Christ gives us the what? He gives us the victory. And that context is resurrection from the dead. That really is the victory. The victory is our living though we die. When you hear discussion about, quote, the victorious Christian life, they are using the word victory in a way that the New Testament does not use it. He doesn't tell us to be victorious. He tells us to stand firm. Stand firm. And folks, He always tells us to do that. Let me quote to you some passages. 1 Peter, your adversary, the devil, like a roaring what? Lion. Lion seeks whom he may devour. Resist. Did you hear that? Resist, standing firm in your faith. That's amazing, isn't it? Resist standing firm, not in the armor, but in your faith. Or James chapter 4. Resist the devil and he will Not be victorious over the devil. Resist the devil and he will will flee. And he tells you how to resist him. God opposes the proud, giving grace to the resist the devil in the grace of God. And he will flee from you. And folks, you know this. You know this was with our Lord when he was tempted in the wilderness? Did he resist? And at the end of the day, the devil left. But he came back. Does everybody see that? We have a command, be strengthened. The strength comes to us by putting on the whole armor of God. And it is necessary to give us the ability to stand firm 
against the schemes of the devil, and we mentioned at least two of those schemes. Fourthly, there's a reason why we should stand firm. That reason is given to us in verse 12. For, here's the reason, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, now brethren, are we struggling? Does Paul say we struggle? Paul says we struggle. There's a system of theology that states that a Christian could get to the place where he doesn't struggle. Paul doesn't know of that place. He didn't say when you struggle. He said for our struggle. We're struggling. And the word struggle here refers to an intense struggle. King James uses the word wrestling. It's a struggle that refers to hand-to-hand warfare. And folks, where are we strengthened? Where are we strengthened? In our inner man. This is an intense spiritual struggle. Where? In us. In us. And it feels like hand-to-hand warfare. It's like Peter said, these lusts that war, where? Against your soul. This is internal. This is inside of you. This is why we need strengthening in our inner man. And note that this intensity of struggle, verse 12, Ephesians 6, is not against flesh and blood. It's not a struggle against humanity. If it was a struggle against humanity, then we could conduct this warfare fleshly. But the weapons of our warfare are not what? They're not fleshly, but spiritual. To the tearing down of strongholds in us and in others as we preach the gospel to them. And folks, when he means that this is not against flesh and blood, he means this in context. It's not against one another. The scripture says we're to be submissive one to another. We don't always respond properly. Your warfare doesn't have anything to do with your brother or your sister in church. It's not against flesh and blood of human government. You would think today that that's the only thing the church is fighting against. It's not against flesh and blood of your husband's wives that you are to be submissive to. It's not against the flesh and blood of a slave or a master. It's not against flesh and blood of a pastor or pastors. It's not the flesh and blood of your parents or your father. Everybody with me? This is the context of Ephesians, isn't it? 
our warfare, our struggle is not outside of us. It is internal. And what that means is, since we have this intense spiritual struggle, what it means is, is that when we're saved, it doesn't remove us from conflict. Sometimes we'll tell people, we'll say, well, if you get saved, you just won't have any more problems. I don't know anything about that. In fact, when I got saved, I got more problems. Now, God undertakes for many of our external, physical, worldly problems that we get in a mess with. Thank God for that. But now, you not only have those coming to you from the outside, you've got something going on inside. A war against your soul. So if a man or a woman tells you, well, there's a place where you can get where you'll never struggle. There's a place you can get where God will just answer all of your problems and you'll never have any more problems and it'll be great. They are telling you a falsehood. It is a struggle to walk in newness of life. And any believer that's been saved for any amount of time that's attempting to walk a worthy walk knows exactly what I'm saying. It can bring you to tears. And if you profess Christ and you're not walking a worthy walk, then why should your flesh give you any trouble? You're doing what it wants you to do anyway. You try to do right in Christ, you'll find out you have an evil nature inside of you resisting everything you do. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. So everybody following the argument. We're just laying building blocks so that we can understand this. We have a command to be strengthened. It comes, that strength comes to us by putting on the whole armor of God. That armor is absolutely necessary to give us the ability to stand firm. And the reason why we're going to have to stand firm is because there is an intense spiritual struggle going on and it feels like hand-to-hand combat. It feels like wrestling. Now, I'm not talking about the wrestling that's entertainment. I'm talking about real wrestling. Fifthly, This is a spirit-to-spirit conflict. And this is a small s. It's not the Holy Spirit. It is a small s spirit to our small s spirit conflict. And you'll see that in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. Now the first category that he gives to us here in verse 12 that our struggle is against is Spiritual rulers, spiritual powers. Now you've already seen that phrase in the book of Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians 1. Aren't you glad Ephesians isn't a big book? You just go back a couple of pages, at least in my Bible. Ephesians 1, verse 21. Christ is seated at His right hand in the heavenlies far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Far above. In Ephesians 3 and verse 10, Paul says he brings to light the administration of this mystery. Verse 10, 
so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenlies. And of course, he does tell us, does he not, in Ephesians 2, in verse 2, that we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And that working is seen, verse 3, in the lust of their flesh, the desires of the flesh in the mind. Folks, these spiritual rulers and authorities are against you. And they are against the church. They don't want the church to display the manifold wisdom of God. They don't want the church to bring glory to God the Father. They don't want the church to be to the praise of the glory of His grace. And they don't want the members either. They are opposed. And you are opposed to them. And the very fact that we struggle intensely shows that these spiritual rulers and spiritual authorities are a real thing. I can't tell you the number of times as a pastor and in my own life, I'm like, Lord, I don't want to do this. My will is not to do this. But I, I do what I don't want to do. And one day these spiritual rulers and authorities won't have anything in me to inflame. We will be like the Son of God of whom He said, the devil comes and he has nothing in me. Nothing. It's amazing. Not only that, but we have Ephesians 6, we have not only spiritual rulers and against spiritual powers, but against the world forces of this darkness. The key phrase here is of this darkness. What is of this darkness? Well, it is this world. Ephesians 4 verse 18, unbelievers are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Ephesians 5 and verse 8, For you were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 11 of Ephesians 5, Don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. There is spiritual wickedness. There is spiritual world forces, as it's translated here, of this world, of this darkness that we're walking in. And they are against you. And they are against the church. And then lastly, we have spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. There's a little mystery of this in my mind. You have spiritual rulers, you have spiritual authorities, you have spiritual rulers in what locality? This darkness, this world. But you also have spiritual wickedness where? In the heavenlies. And he's already talked about that. We've already read it. I'll read it to you again so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenlies. 
everyone that I've mentioned to you are hostile to you and the church walking a worthy walk. So folks, are these spiritual entities against a rightly ordered marriage? Are they against your children coming to Christ? Walking a worthy walk in holiness and blamelessness They are hostile to this. They don't want you to be submissive. They don't want you to walk in humility. They don't want you to obey God. And surely you would know by now, oh Lord, Strengthen me in my inner man. Right? Strengthen me in my inner man. Thanks be to God. Listen to this. Greater is He that is where? In you. Than He that is where? In the world. This is an intense struggle occurring in us. It is a challenge to our inner man, spirit to spirit, and it is a challenge that is in contrast to a worthy walk. And folks, this is what the armor is. The armor is our worthy walk. How do I know this? Well, if I was to ask you what the armor is, you certainly would say, you know what it is. Let me ask you this. Is our armor a leather girdle, a breastplate, Shoes, shield. No, those are metaphors. What is our armor? Truth, righteousness, peace, faith. Everybody with me? When we think about the armor, we're looking at some Roman soldier in our mind that's got on these pieces of soldiery. But the armor is not natural. And Paul calls that armor in Romans 13, he calls it what? The armor of light. The armor of light. Haven't you read, so let your light shine. This is the working out of our salvation. This is the worthy walk. This is our walk in humility. It is a walk in truth. It is a walk in His righteousness. It is a walk in peace. It is a walk in faith. It is a walk in salvation. It is a walk in accordance with the Word of God. And every one of those themes, now I'm out of, I'm out of category number five and I'm concluding. Every one of those that I just said to you, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, Salvation, the Word of God, every one of those has already been mentioned many, many, many times in this book. Paul is referencing back to the themes and the theology that he's already mentioned. We tend to see the pieces of the armor, but what Paul wants you to see is the armor. 
truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the Word of God. All of those things have already been discussed and all of those things are in connection with the mystery of God and they're all in connection with our worthy walk. So folks, when we walk a worthy walk, the only way that we'll be able to do that, Ephesians 3, is to be strengthened in our inner man. And as we walk the worthy walk, we are being protected. So that we can stand what? The worthy walk gives us the ability to be protected. A worthy walk occurs by His strength, giving us the strength to stand firm, no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by deceitful scheming of the evil one. The working out of this, of God's eternal purpose in our life, is our protection against devilish schemes. This knowledge and wisdom and being filled with this will give you an increasing, strengthening faith to quench when your lusts are inflamed over a situation. It will give you the ability and the strength to say, No. I'm not going to respond to them like they responded to me. I'm not going to revile them if they revile me. I'm not going to threaten them if they threaten me. I'm going to walk in Christ. And folks, not only when we are strengthened, not only are we protected, but at the end of the day, we stand firm. Don't you hate a wishy-washy believer? Why is it that the evangelical world is submitting themselves to that which God calls an abomination? Why is this? Truly, many of them may not be regenerate, right? but they're just being tossed here and there by every wind of this world, by every teaching that the world comes up to emphasize. Because they're not walking the worthy walk. They're not growing up in Him in all things. You and I need the ability not to win the battle with the devil. We need the ability to stand firm. And even if the devil puts you to death, we have awaiting for us the victory that has been given to us in Christ to be raised from the dead. This is a marvelous, marvelous truth that all of us need to give our energies to walking therein for the glory of God. Let's pray.